Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Lakerside Chats. I am your host as always, Alan Ramich. Uh, this episode was supposed to be a four-man podcast and then it dropped to a three-man podcast and now it's a two. Um, still an awesome guest I have on. He is co-host of the NBA Baseline podcast, Mr. Warren Shaw. Welcome to the show, sir. My G, thanks so much for having me here. Hey, man, last man standing, but it's all good. We'll get our partners and client back on the show real real soon, I'm sure. Definitely. And, and for those of you that don't know, we recorded a huge bumper NBA's back podcast about a month ago. Um, I, I can easily say it was probably the best podcast I've ever recorded. And the audio is now lost. <laughs> nice, bro. So, so... This was supposed to be a makeup podcast, but unfortunately it hasn't worked out that way. Um, it's going to be a bit more NBA-centric than usual, so I hope you do continue to listen. I know it's not going to be the regular Laker content, but we will still touch on the Lakers. Um, I just want to touch on the bubble first with you, Shaw. Um, the bubble obviously was a very um, uh, divisive topic going into you know the restart of the NBA season, um, how the players would handle it. Um, would there be any outbreaks of COVID, the workers from Disney, et cetera, et cetera? Um, what's your biggest takeaway? Because I think it's been almost flawless, the entire thing from start to, you know, we're not finished, nowhere near finished yet. But from start to now, um, I think it's just been a top-notch organization by Adam Silver, as always. Yeah, I, obviously there was skepticism and for the, even the reason to restart to begin with. But now that we're here, uh, this is and all the players are saying it. Coaches are saying it as well that it's the it's the most safe position that they could potentially be in. You know, as we're recording here, I live in the South Florida area. Um, today, eight Miami Marlins contracted COVID, and now don't know the state of the Major League Baseball season as a result of that. Um, again, that's not what's happening in the NBA or the WNBA. They're bubbled up. Um, and they had the ability to do so, and, and they took it seriously. So um, I'm hoping everything remains clean and clear for all the players that can, and continue to test negative for the COVID-19. Um, and hopefully we do have a full and complete NBA season that goes into October. And um, the thing I've enjoyed most is the content coming out of the bubble. I don't know about you, but yeah. the content, and, the, and a lot of the guys seem to have embraced it, and they're starting to have fun now, which, you know, I know there was a lot of skepticism before, you know, the bubble started and obviously we're almost at the start of the season, restart. Um, how do you feel about, you know, the whole environment, the um, the atmosphere, you know, because obviously they, they're posting a lot on social media right now, probably a lot more than what they would at home because they have a lot more free time. What do you take? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think overall you you have to enjoy this insider's look. And because they had maybe a little bit less to do, maybe a little bit less distraction, they are turning to social media to post to give everybody an inside look. And these players are just, you know, they're they're being themselves. And that part of it is really fun. And I think it's helped to build the excitement for what's to come here in a few days. The one thing, you know, and if you listen to me uh, on different shows, and I've said this a thousand times over, um, I think the league has created an unintentional situation to form another super team because players are going to be spending a lot of time with, you know, opposing players, if you will. It's very much like an Olympic or AAU situation where you may time that you wouldn't respect with somebody like, you know what, that's a good dude. You know what? Hey, it'd be a great opportunity to play with you at some time. And, and I think you may see some things come out of this bubble that the NBA didn't expect necessarily with a new super team. Uh, all I want to say is a certain Greek superstars brother plays in at the Lakers. 
and um, they may or may not be staying in the same hotel and having breakfast together all the time. That, that's don't all start. I'll say on that matter. Don't start. Don't start. <laughs> I didn't mention anything. <laughs> Listen, all I'm going to say is AD and Giannis have openly said they want to play together in the future. And AD isn't leaving the Lakers anytime soon. I'm going to just bow out on that. League is, not, <laughs> league is not ready for that amount of length, that amount of two-way capability on that amount of stardom. That's just that's a, that's a scary thought. I'd, I'd rather see him go to Golden State as a Celtics fan than see him go <laughs> to the Purple and Gold family. I can't do it. But, but you know, I had to throw it in there. It is a Laker podcast after all, even though we're making it a little bit more NBA-centric. Um I feel like I had to throw it in there. I had to get some last uh, Lakers homerism in there. You got to speak to your base, bro. And I and I <laughs> acknowledge the base always. And I just want to touch um, if um, there was any surprises from, I know you've watched a lot of the exhibition so far. Um, what have you made of the teams? Um, who, Which team has impressed you the most so far? I know it's only preseason, quote unquote. Um, I think the common theme for me, and then I'll throw it to you, is um, everyone seems to be very prepared and everyone seems to be sort of in shape. I know people are getting gassed, obviously, because they haven't played this higher level in months. But everyone seems to be relatively in shape from what I've seen. Yeah, I think so. And and they're just, you know, they're some some teams are taking it a little bit easier than others, obviously, too. But the, the basketball hasn't been as bad as everyone expected, as you would see, like, in a preseason format. So, And I still think we kind of talked off air, but the, the eight games, the seeding games, if you will, will still be utilized as a tune-up for the big show that starts on August 17th with the, with the NBA playoffs in general. And for me, uh, you know, of the teams that I've seen a lot of, so to speak, uh, I think I've been a little bit impressed with with OKC and Shea Gilgis-Alexander more specifically um, and just kind of what they're doing. Uh, the one team that I really would be remiss if I didn't highlight is Portland. Uh, skinny Mellow, Bubble Mellow, whatever the hell you want to call them. You know, looking like he's going to play a significant role, but most importantly, them getting Nurkic back, and Nurkic, it looks like he hasn't, he's not missing the beat. And I'm interested with this rotation though that Stas is trying to go out there with both Nurkic and Whiteside starting in in, in the front court with Melo at three. Um, not what I expected. <laughs> so, <laughs> not what anyone expected. <laughs> we'll see if that continues moving forward. But I think Portland is going to be a problem, especially if Nurkic is looking the way that he does. Well. I've always been of high, and obviously there is a sort of sense of bias there because you know we're from the same country and whatnot. But I always thought Nurkic was the second most important player on the Blazers team because he makes everything click on both sides. Yeah. Um, obviously, white side Nurkic experiment aside, because I don't think that will work. Um, but I think the way that the chemistry he has with Dame, especially on the pick and roll, I think he's a very underrated off-ball defender. Um, is an excellent passer, um, yeah, really, really phenomenal passer. Um, he, may, he doesn't get as highlighted because he's not as good as Jokic, but he's still a he's got beautiful touch when he's passing to his teammates. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree more. And just remember, I can the fact that Denver had both those guys. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> like, ha, if you if you can't make it work with that amount of talent, 
at the four and five yeah. spot, then like I'm sorry, but you don't deserve to to challenge for the NBA title. <laughs> like that, that's the way I look at it. Man, man, what a, what a, what a what a gift you know that that was. And you know, I mean, again, they, both teams are happy with the way it worked out. I guess ultimately, but again, he he looks really really good. And I I think what you said there, his passing is, is severely underrated. There's times, and his defense is severely underrated. I think as well Definitely. too. You know, there's times I look at box scores and I'm like, damn, this, this mofo had four or five blocks. You know, two steals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, four or five dimes too. In addition to putting up a double double, like he's he stuffs the stat sheet um, in a way that I don't think a lot of people recognize. And he's supremely important to what Portland ultimately wants to do. And Zach Collins as well too, coming off the bench. And you know, in, in another year, if he can stay out of foul trouble, that just makes him really legitimate and formidable on on the uh, sorry in the in the front court. Well, as a Lakers fan, um, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm worried about any of the three teams that, that are in contention, in my opinion, being the Pelicans, the, the Grizzlies, or the Blazers. But the team I'd like to see the least in a seven-game series, and I'm sure you, you'd agree, is the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, don't get me wrong, I think the Pelicans in a few years will be phenomenal, especially if they keep that young core together. I think they'll be really, really good. Um, Jar, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark, that whole crew in Memphis is so much fun to watch. Um, so again, nothing against those guys, but when you have a top 10 player in Damian Lillard, you have a, in my opinion, a top five center in the league in Nurkic there as well. Um, CJ McCollum is obviously all-star magnificent player. Um, it's, it's a different proposition to playing youngsters. And I don't say that with any disrespect. It's just, they still need time to develop and grow into their roles. Whereas these guys know what their roles are. They've been to a Western Conference Finals last year, albeit not maybe this complete iteration, but the majority of them have. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, on the Eastern side, I know you follow the East a, a lot more. Um, who's impressed you from that conference and what have you seen from there? So I, I think in, in assessing the East, you know, it's 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 hard not to be impressed with Milwaukee. They're just like they don't care, you know. They're just kind of going out here and, and doing doing their thing. And and sure, you know, Bledsoe missed a game or two as well too. And you just want make sure you have them back at kind of full strength. But I always look at the top of that conference and and, and kind of just see that hey, you know, they're they're ready to rock as well as Toronto is as well too. I think the Raptors first team to like do the extended quarantine because they went to the Fort Myers area, I think a full two weeks before the bubble even started in Orlando, just so they can get their team chemistry and, re and you know, just be get reacquainted with each other. Marcus all lost a bunch of weight as well. Um, I think those two teams at the top of the Eastern conference have probably impressed me the most in general. Um, and while I'm, looking and searching at everything and seeing the the rotations that Philly is trying with Ben, ben Simmons at the four and Shake Milton now being the starting power point guard mm -hmm. and Orford coming up the bench, you know, Philly is still always going to be a question mark. And it's looked okay, you know, I think in, in, from the early, early results, so to speak. But to me, Milwaukee and Toronto really are kind of sending out in the Eastern Conference as teams that just have their proverbial shit together. Oh, the, the the Raptors are such a high-class organization, especially ever since Masai Ujiri took over. And, you know, I know there was a lot of backlash for when they got rid of Dwayne Casey and hired Nick Nurse. But in hindsight, that seems to be 100% the right decision to, that, that, that they made there. I don't know what you think about that, but I, I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, how, how often can you... <laughs> do be as successful as they were you know as a, as an organization as a franchise mm -hmm. fire the coach of the year 
bring in a guy who is an, a legitimate MVP candidate every year, all NBA, and then mm -hmm. go to the finals the next year. Like, who? That's crazy. Cool, crap. And then now come back the next year, lose that MVP and perennial all NBA talent, and still have one of the better records in, in the NBA and definitely top two in the Eastern Conference. Toronto is, is a phenomenal phenomenal franchise that is extremely well ran and I, I think their player development is severely underrated you know on top of thing everything mm -hmm. else scouting uh and they just have it they have it together remember siakam you know came from the g league he got, he got we, we talked offline about terrence davis and what he's been able to give them already i'm just really really gushing about the toronto raptors and i i'm to the point now where while i'm not a raptors fan i legitimately get upset when i see graphics or memes that don't include them in in the in the conversation especially in the eastern conference specifically you know you'll see boston to get in sneak in there ahead of them all the time and some people still holding out holding out hope for philadelphia but toronto severely continues to be an underrated and disrespected and you know i for one feel like they've proven more than enough you know to, to stop that situation well i don't know about you but i also feel like kyle lowry is one of the most disrespected 7a all time all-stars um all nba player champions that's ever played in the nba people seem to think of this guy as a scrub but like i don't get it like kyle lowry's been magnificent for the past six years and he's still been magnificent i know they've missed time a lot of them significant time but whenever he's played i think kyle lowry's been magnificent for him as well this year and i don't think that gets mentioned often enough either no, you're you're 100 right there. He, if there's ever a guy who's had the opportunity to play with a career long chip on his shoulder, it's Kyle it's Kyle Lowry. I think even back in his days in Memphis, and this is you know we 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 we've all been right about somebody, and we've all been wrong about somebody when it comes to the the assessment of talent, so to speak. But back when he was in Memphis, I said, damn, if that dude ever gets to start and run his own team. He's going to do something with it. And, you know, fast forward, I think he spent time in Houston before he got yeah. to Toronto as well. But I was like, damn, that's one of those guys to look back. And you know, I, I pat myself on the shoulder on my back a little bit. I was like, I saw it early, man, because because Lowry, he, he's always had that 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 kind of greediness to him is a is a very good defender um and just has improved his outside shot to be a more than reliable three-point shooter and clutch shooter as well too and sure he's had his struggles in the playoffs you know with DeRozan you know in those days and things of that nature but um most of that is by him now and he's an NBA champion and I think we need to recognize him as such definitely and I think one day we'll hear Dwight uh Kyle Lowry Hall of Fame yeah um, I, I really do believe that and I just want to touch before we move on from um, this topic about the exhibition and who's impressed you. Obviously, um, for the people who listen to the Baseline podcast, they know you're a Celtics fan. For the people that don't, who are just getting to know you, um, obviously, Shaw is a Celtics fan, but he's an acceptable Celtics fan. We, we allow him we allow him into the Lakers side <laughs> chats. Don't worry, guys. Um, what do you make of your Celtics? Because I'm very intrigued because like, as the romantic in me wants a Lakers-Celtics final. Um, even if it might not be feasible yet because you guys are still very young and you're very ascending, but I don't know how you feel about the chances this year. Yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but for us to come out of the East, we have a, the stars ultimately have to align. Um, obviously, size is still an issue for, for Boston with 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 Tice mm -hmm. and Cantor, you know, kind of manning that 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 front court. But more importantly to me is the fact that Kemba is not 100. 
um, you know, coming back at four months off and still having some some knee soreness and pain or whatever it is. And, you know, Boston is, is traditionally very cautious, but I just don't like it. I just don't like the sound of that. And it, and it makes me a little bit nervous about the prospects. And while I think Tatum and Brown and maybe even more so Brown specifically, where Brown's really really phenomenal really ready um yeah. you know and again i'm not and obviously tatum is, is amazing and he's the guy he's the lead horse you know for for boston but i just think brown has a certain next level chip that we maybe still haven't even seen yet and he's going to be willing to kind of show out especially if kemba's not able to be full go for for boston in general but i, I do think we're probably an, a year and a center away um from really being able to be in the legitimate conversation to win an nba championship but hey i'd love to romanticize with you bro <laughs> and see this go down you know see the purple and gold versus the green um sometime in in, in i guess that'd be late september or october for an nba finals well the, the one thing I do want to say about Jalen Brown, I was wrong about him. Um, I didn't think he did. I, I always thought he was a very, very smart person, you know, doing your research into Jalen Brown. He's definitely one of the smartest dudes in the NBA, if not the smartest, which is a huge testament to him as a person. So big up for, for, to Jalen Brown. But the way his game has improved over the past 18 months, I didn't envision him becoming this good. And I can only see him getting better, like you said. So I think a lot of the credit goes to the coaching staff. And rightfully so, because the, these coaching staffs do magnificent jobs with these young guys. But a lot of credit should go to Jalen Brown as well for just working, because that's what he seems to have done. He just seems to have worked and worked and worked. And now he's broke through the proverbial glass ceiling. And I really think the sky's the limit for this dude, man. I, I really do. And as a Laker fan, it pains me to say it. And I'll still attest to the fact that Brandon Ingram will always be better than Jalen Brown <laughs> and Ben Simmons. But he's very, really impressive. And um, the Celtics... I don't know. I feel like if you didn't trade away Aaron Baines, I feel like you'd be fine. I feel like you'd be primed for a push. Yeah, I, I don't disagree there. I mean, Baines gave us a lot defensively. Um, you know, he was able to even stretch the stretch the floor out to three a little bit more. Um, Tice is trying to get comfortable with that shot. Mm -hmm. It's not quite there yet. Um, but it, but in general, yeah, man, that losing a guy, the caliber of Baines and his physicality, um, even though he got, you know, ridiculously dunked on over and over again by Giannis and they tried to have Baines try yeah. to play him straight up. Um, at least you had the body to try to throw out there at him as well too, to take some mm -hmm. pressure off some of the other guys. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough situation, a tough go for, for Boston, especially, you know, in the wrong matchups, you know, if you end up in a situation with Philly and you have to try to stop Embiid for seven games, that's not an ideal situation for, for the Celtics, but I still think they have enough talent and enough team chemistry that can get, get it done there. But when it comes down to the big stage and trying to get Giannis out of the way, whew, that's a tall order for everybody in the Eastern Conference. Definitely, man. And You know, Giannis is, you know, you can't run out of superlatives for Giannis because I, I think he's, you know, just that good. And obviously I think him and Doncic and Zion will take the NBA forward for the next 10 years plus, yeah. which is a very exciting thought as well. Um, but I just want to move on. I want to segue on to probably the biggest news over the past couple of days. Um, obviously, um, I'll, I'll let you take the lead. Um, Lou Williams, uh, obviously, he uh, was excused for an absence in the bubble. Uh, first, it was thought his grandfather died, and then it was corrected that it was a close family friend's father who passed away. And then he was spotted... Um, you know, shouts to Jack Harlow for snitching on him. Um, <laughs> he was spotted in a very well-known Atlanta strip club. Um, 
you know, he said he just ate wings and there was no adult entertainers there. And then the snitch line worked again, apparently. And they found a picture of him with some, you know, strippers in the background. Um, so what's your take on all this? Because A, I find it hilarious that obviously it will be Lou Williams that did this. It was either Lou Williams or James Harden that would do something like this, in my opinion. Um, but what what's your take on it all? I mean, from a sheer entertainment standpoint, I'm, <laughs> I am completely amused, especially by the memes, the conversations, the debates about how great strip club food is in general, especially even in Magic City, you know, how a lot of people go there. Like the, the rationalization process of this is just, it's wild to me. And as a person who doesn't necessarily frequent or go to strip clubs even ever, I don't, I can't relate. I don't know how the, how the food is, but apparently it's, it's a well-known thing. And for, for me though, Lou Williams, and I tweeted this out a couple of days ago and I was, you know, very, be, I was very being uh, tongue in cheek, if you will, but he's the, the originator of the entanglement situation. My dude <laughs> running around two girlfriends for the longest time and they knew about each other and it was all good. So the fact that he likes his women, you know, and wanted to, you know, frequent a, a gentleman establishment, if you will, and get a meal while he was at it. That's very Lou Williams. But <laughs> when you think about the aspect of, you know, what your team, the, the Clippers now, what they have at stake. Now, now you have to miss a couple of games. And if you are trying to really hold on to that two seed or even make a push. Uh, potentially for the first seed, if anything were to happen to to the Lakers, you know, now missing those the first two games uh, as a result of the ten day quarantine that was levied down, um, that's just not a great situation. And Doc Rivers is, he is kind of the one of the master coaches of having to handle um, kind of excess crap that comes to his team. Right away, if you think all the way back, you know, what I mean, to days in Orlando, then obviously up to the LA situation with Donald Sterling and so forth. Like he's always having to navigate something. Um, but this is, this is pseudo minor compared to those other things, but it's just not a great look for a Clippers team that has championship on their mind and wants to make sure that they're on all systems go moving forward. Um, I think the Clippers in general and the players have sort of been the negative story of the bubble. I don't know what your take on it. I know we're a late, very Lakers podcast, but I feel like, you know me, um, I feel like I'm very um, neutral when it comes to the NBA, especially when I'm discussing other teams. No matter what my allegiances are for the Lakers, um, you, you know that I'm very um, down the line. And if the Lakers are bad, I'll say it straight up. Um, but I, I don't know. They don't seem to like each other. There's constantly people going in and out of the bubble. Obviously, there's reasons for it, and I'm not going to say you know people are doing it to go to strip clubs because obviously Montrez Harrell had the problems with his grandmother, so shouts to him. Uh, Pat Patrick Beverly, yeah, exactly. He had his friend. I think that I think it was said that his friend passed away. So if that's the case, you know, shouts to him and his family and all his friends as well. Obviously, that's a difficult situation. Uh, Landry Shamit himself had COVID. Um, Zubats was an unknown for whatever reason. Um, what do you make of the Clippers? Because I feel like this is... Um, when you have Skip Bayless siding with the Lakers and slacking off the Clippers on Undisputed, 2020 is weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is a, it is a unique situation. I think there is more to that situation than, than maybe meets the eye. But I, I'll, I'll even kind of harken back to what I just said. 
I think if there's a guy who understands and knows how to try to galvanize a fractured or fracturing locker room, it's Doc. You know, I mean, in those Clippers, the, the earlier Clipper teams with Chris Paul, DeAndre, and Blake, while mm-hmm. they never materialized to the ultimate level that they wanted to, it could have gone a lot south a lot sooner had Doc not been the guy there. And, and I think in this situation, um, Kawhi being of a championship medal if you will um having you know the finals mvp on 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 his on his mantle i think he's going to be a guy that quietly leads his team you know to the direction i think once you start to see like hey we have a legitimate chance here some of that other bs just kind of kind of goes away and i'm not going to discredit anything that you're saying there because i do see it and it, it i guess there was some stuff remember it came out earlier in the year that oh maybe this this team isn't as tight as as everyone thinks they could or should be um, but ultimately winning cures all and i think once they see that and the chips are down especially if it comes into a situation against the hated Lakers, if you will, for them, uh, I think they'll galvanize. I really do. And and Trez and and Bev and and Lou Will and PG and Kawhi, everybody. I think they'll they'll get on board to make a very very competitive run at this thing. No, definitely. And don't don't get me wrong. I still think we'll face them in the conference finals. Yeah. It's just a very fascinating case study for me, as a team that you know has all the talent in the world, which they do. And you know, like you said, if anyone can, you know, Doc Rivers has this. Um, reputation of being able to repair fractured locker rooms to the point that they can compete and work with each other even if they don't like each other. Um, I still find it amazing how there's a lack of buzz around all this um, fracturing with the Clippers. You know, um, I'm, again, it's not being a Lakers homer. Um, I, feel, I feel like even if it's the Celtics that had these types of problems, or do you know what I mean? I feel like it'll be a lot more publicized than what it is right now. Well, the Celtics had those types of problems. <laughs> so <laughs> no, they did last year, not they this did. year. <laughs> and it was very publicized. So, and I don't know, maybe it is. I think a lot of it too might be not that it's not that it's LA because LA is obviously a, a media mecca, but it might be the types of personalities that are that are involved in the situation. And because Kawhi is kind of a low-key person to begin with in general. So the drama around a Kawhi-led team is is gonna kind of be low-key. Even at the end of the day, he escaped the San Antonio situation probably better than than he he should have in general. Um, you know, he 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 was not one hundred percent correct in how he handled that, and obviously neither were the Spurs in general. But the Spurs kind of got made the scapegoat, but it didn't really garner the national national attention that it probably should for a player of his caliber. And I think that level of kind of pseudo notoriety or less than notoriety even though he's an elite level talent has followed him kind of everywhere he's gone and i guess in a situation like this it works to his benefit as opposed to his detriment oh definitely and uh, i just you know it, it i feel like with basketball back the storylines that, that we're going into it i think a sublime you know you have the east which you know there's one dominant team and then you have a bunch of really really good teams um that you know could challenge Milwaukee, could pose a matchup nightmare for and potentially some teams. Um, then you have the West, which I think is two teams. But then I feel like the Clippers, if they get the wrong matchup, you know, like if they get the Rockets first round, I don't know what you think, but that could potentially be a very, very interesting first round there. That that matchup between the Clippers and Rockets, I, I wouldn't want to face Harden and Westbrook on rest ever. To be honest with you, yeah. 
No, and I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I've seen a lot, a lot of analysis come in more recently about about Houston. And while people were um, kind of off their bandwagon, I think somewhere along the line in the preseason, then they started to play the small ball and everyone was mm -hmm. like, oh, no way, no way. As I don't know if the COVID four months off has has reassessed, but people seem to have, have started to convince themselves that this can potentially work. And especially, in, in again, in certain matchups specifically. And, and I agree, like, that's not something that the Clippers would be terribly excited to see. That's not something I think the Nuggets would be terribly excited to see, you know, either as well, even though they have a legitimate big man who could presumably go to work on them. But Jokic has a tendency sometimes to not really pound the basketball down low. He likes to operate on the perimeter and be the point guard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that can play to Houston's advantages, you know, in some, in some ways. So anytime you have two MVP caliber guys, two hall of fame guys really in Westbrook and Harden, you know, it's, it's never a great prop proposition. Um, but especially for a team, you know, like, like the Clippers, you know, who may have some, some chemistry issues in general, but I would still take them ultimately in, in, in that series. And, and, and again, in most series coming out of the Western Conference, but Houston definitely has something to prove here, um, as do Harden and Westbrook specifically. But you got to see if that small ball lineup is sustainable in, in the playoff format. And obviously, we're coming up to the start of the NBA season Thursday evening. Obviously, the marquee game is the Lakers Clippers. So before we move on to the other games and what interests you about the opening matchups, um, obviously, it's a Lakers podcast, so we, we'd, we'd be a bit amiss if we don't touch on the first game of the season. Obviously, um, what do you what, what what do you what are your predictions? And um, obviously, you've watched a little bit of both teams yeah. in the exhibition games. Um, what do you make? Um, because I, for me, Rajon Rondo, um, as much as I think he's a great dude, and I think he's a very positive influence, even on the young guys, the older guys, on everyone. I think it's going to be a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the Lakers not having Rondo. Yeah, I mean, well, that's definitely something I haven't heard, you know, from from other Laker fans or other NBA analysts. A lot of people expect or just expected playoff Rondo to appear and, you know, for him to just come out here and, and really assist and be the guy that AD and LeBron can lean on throughout the course of the playoff run. And again, Rondo spent a lot of time in Boston, but th that, that was years ago. So I don't know if there, a playoff Rondo still exists. The last version we saw of that, I guess, was his New Orleans days, I think, the one year there. So, you know, in, in, any, in any event, I, I think the Lakers have done enough to, to try to mitigate those circumstances and have enough ways to try to create outside of Rondo specifically. Um, his defense has probably been overrated for a little while now as well, too. So I, I think they're not going to miss him on that side of it. But taking it specifically to, you know, that opening night matchup or the restart matchup, if you will, um, as we've alluded to on this on this show earlier on, the Lakers are probably just in a little bit better position right now, even from a team chemistry standpoint, despite Rondo not being there. Um, the, the the acquisitions of Jr. and Deion Waiters are are unique. Bubble cheese, <laughs> bubble cheese. Uh, that that is unique, and I'm 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 interested really to see how that translates over the course of the of, of the restart and when things really get tight because. Both Jr. and Dion, they like themselves, man, and they they tend they have a tendency to want to prove that they can handle the big moments. And I don't know that that is the situation that LeBron and AD are definitely gonna are, are gonna be down for. And just the one thing I'll say about it is like sometimes you ask LeBron to do a lot in terms of 
managing the team even outside of what Vogel and Jason Kidd and the rest of that staff have to do. Uh, like he has to really kind of police guys more than probably any other player in the history of, of the game outside of Jordan, uh, you know, when it comes to his rosters. And that's just added stress that I don't think he necessarily needs, but hopefully things work out there. And, you know, again, getting back to the point of the game itself, I still feel overall, though, the Lakers are in a better position to compete right now. Um, most of their team has been intact for the most part throughout the bubble. As we alluded to, the Clippers have had guys coming in and out for various reasons. Um, and I think the Clippers are just better equipped to get, to get a, get a jump start and win that game when we, we, they restart on July 30th. Oh, definitely. And, um, for me, obviously, Alex Caruso getting an uptick in minutes, I feel like, will be very important for us. And I know he's become a bit of a meme on the internet, but I think people discount just how he's a very, very good player, especially off the ball defensively. His help defense is the best on the Lakers. Um, an addition you didn't mention that, that's gone under the radar again, but I think is the most important addition for us, was the addition of Markeith Morris. Um Keith has opened up the rotation wherein by you can have AD play at the five. You slide Kuzma up to the wing spot, which I think helps Kuzma a lot more as well. And the guy's a dog, man. And you guys had Marcus since Boston. Those Morris twins are made of something else, man. They're, 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 they're great. They're great NBA players. I love them, me personally, even if Marcus played for the Celtics and now the <laughs> no, that's a good point. And, and yeah, the Morris twins definitely give you something added extra um, from from a rebounding grit defensive standpoint as well too. Uh, capable three point shooters, but again, just give, allow you to have some switchability on defense, which is essential in today's NBA. And as you alluded to, allows Davis to kind of do some maybe some gambling as well too out there, or as he's floating around the around the paint a little bit. Um, and I think for 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 the Clippers, you know, they they just want to make sure that. No one, no one gets hurt, you know. And, and ultimately, for me, I think this is a, this is a, a unique situation because obviously Anthony Davis is a better overall player than Paul George. But I'm trying to figure out which one of those two guys is going to play their role um, to the, to the best to the best ability as the clear mm -hmm. number twos on on their team. Davis has never been in this situation, you know, playing at a high level, being the number two for a championship level team. Paul George has been the number one, but I don't think he was ever really that guy, so to speak. So now that he can really settle in and focus behind Kawhi and, you know, focus on his defense and, you know, and, and, and picking his spots offensively as well too, um, see what that ultimately yields for this Clippers on the, on this run. But again, keeping it to a singular game, like in, in this restart, the, I, my money is on the Lakers and I'd be surprised if anything went other, other, any other way than that. Oh, that's why we accept you as a Celtics fan on the Lakers side chats. You give us the answers <laughs> we want to hear, sure. For now. For now. For now. Until we face each other in the finals and you go Celtics in five. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little bit uh, uh I'm that's wishful thinking. So, you know, again, I'm 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 definitely afraid of of teams that have the, the requisite ability to have size and the one of the things Boston has struggled with a lot has, is, is, has been athleticism. So when you add mm -hmm. size to that athleticism, that's just a, a recipe for disaster for Boston, you know, no matter how good they are defensively on the wings as well too. But, you know, we'll, we'll see, man. And I'm, 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 as you alluded to, and I don't want to jump around too much, but I am interested in how the matchup shake up in the Western conference specifically. Um, Drawing Portland for the Lakers, while again we both agree that they would still win that series, could be more taxing for them than they would like. 
Um, and uh, I mean, sorry, so the Lakers drawing the Blazers, if you will, in in, 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 the, yeah. in, a, in a series. And that's not something that, again, they, they want any part of and having to deal with, you know, the bigs and, you know, obviously the the, the big game playability of Damian Lillard. And, and while I, I know uh, right now it's Dallas that, that the Clippers, in essence, would, would, would match up against, and you, you kind of feel like they are – while 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 Porzingis and Doncic are, are are amazing, the rest of that team roster seems to lack depth and depth in general, and they both lack experience. So I, I feel like the Clippers would be able to get by that, you know, mm-hmm. in that first round as well too. And obviously, second round you have to kind of see where the rest of it shakes out. But I just really feel like you don't want to be totally worn down, you know, when you have to play either one of those two teams. Definitely, definitely, and. Um, I just want to touch on, do you think there's any other matchups that you like that, that you're excited to see on these opening couple of days, you know, because there's, there's, there's a ton of good games going on. So is there anything else you're particularly excited for, barring, you know, obviously the marquee matchup that is the Lakers Clippers at this point? Yeah, I mean, you know, opening night for Boston, if you will, is against Milwaukee. So that's a great test for great game. For exactly. Yeah, to kind of see where they're at. Then, and in, in, you know, even looking down at the bottom of the Western Conference, all those teams like Memphis has, they, they really do write their own story. They, they get to play New Orleans. They get to play. They get to play Portland. They get to play Sacramento, all that. So how that young Memphis team responds to all of this, because to me, when you talk about disrespect, they're probably the Memphis. most disrespected team <laughs> entering the bubble based on how the NBA has fixed this whole situation. Like, let's talk about that for a quick second. <laughs> I'm hey. not a Memphis homer by any stretch of the imagination, but if they once they decided that they weren't going to just take the 16 that were in, then they decided, I don't know how this formula came about, but if you are the nine seed and you're within four games of eight, that allows you a play-in game? Like, what? What? Why four games? What 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 was the magic number that made the four? Ga- if you're four games behind somebody, why would you get a playing game? But whatever. <laughs> whatever. So if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you have to feel like, oh, we've been targeted, and you know, then somebody doesn't want us to get in here. While again, it, it all leans towards you know trying to set up the Zion matchup and Zion versus LeBron, the you know the present versus the future, et cetera, et cetera. I think it, it, it skews more for Portland, as we alluded to, a more experienced team that can now really take advantage of the situation. And you end up playing Memphis in a one-game playoff. They're four games within Memphis right now. So it's just like, well, one way or another, Memphis is going to have to fight their way into this thing. You know what I mean? And and that screams disrespect for what they've accomplished this year. No, and, you know, and like like the fact, you know, I I think Zion's going to be the best player in the NBA at some point. But the fact that there's even a debate, about who the rookie of the year is, I, I think is disrespectful to John Morant and how good he's been because the kid's been sublime. He's been really phenomenal. And he's played the entire season as well, which is the main part. Like, as much as I love Zion and I'm a Duke homer because of Mike Krzyzewski, yeah. um, and so obviously I love Zion Williamson, watching him at Duke, John Morant's the rookie of the year and it's not close, right? Like, no, realistically. It's- it's not close. And, and here's my thing. I don't think there's really a debate. I think this is just, you know, precisely the, yeah, the fabricated narration, if you will, to trying to have something to talk about. But when it comes down to it and these reporters and people who make the votes vote, I don't think Zion was or, or is going to get any first place votes. Like, I mean, maybe the New Orleans reporter. Right. But outside mm-hmm. of that, this should be a unanimous situation. The conversation surrounding it is really just fodder to try to get people fired up and really to continue the disrespect. But nobody in their right mind 
who understands basketball would vote for Zion to be the rookie of the year this year, despite how great they think he's going to be. Well, definitely. And I'm sure we can all agree on Zion Williamson probably being um, the greatest player in the NBA at a certain point within his career, which I think he will be. Um, But it's a similar situation to like AD and Lillard, in my opinion. Like, I think everyone saw that AD will be the better player between the two, but Lillard absolutely deserved to be the rookie of the year in their rookie seasons. Like, um, I think it's a very similar situation in that, you know, where like, even if you want to vote for AD, I feel like, you know, you couldn't have because of Lillard. And I feel it's like a very similar situation now. And just like you said, I feel like the whole roster's disrespected the way people talk about them. Like, they've got some legit players there. I know we touched on it, but like, them picking up Brandon Clark 21st overall in this draft is probably the biggest deal in the past four or five years when it comes to the draft. It really is. Criminal, bro criminal <laughs> just i watch that guy and you know i see his work ethic and i'm just like how how did this happen where so many teams were like mm, nah <laughs> you know and with glaring needs at that too it's one thing when you're just like oh you have people at that position but and i understand he's an undersized four or whatever it is but listen man you just don't pass on talent and guys no. we're gonna work that hard and like how he has and maybe again that's part of the fuel as well too but i think that memphis team has just kind of bonded together for all the disrespect First year coach and Taylor Jenkins, that guy could still walk on the street. He's been phenomenal, by the yeah. way. Yeah, but I still don't know if I would recognize him if he was next to me. I'm like, that guy looks familiar, but I wouldn't be able to quite place it. Um, but I think in general, that team, and I, we talked about this on the baseline, you know, recently as well, too, where they've been fighting just this this level of uh, it's not their time and and nobody cares about us the entire year. Remember, they dealt with the Andre Iguodala crap. You know how exactly. he didn't want to play with them, and they were like, "Yo, f this dude." Like, we'll, you know, like, you know, if you watch Major League and old time baseball movie, like, f you, Joe Boo, we'll do it ourselves. And they don't <laughs> feel like they need Iggy in this situation. And he, obviously, he's moved on to greener pastures for him in, in Miami. But the whole year has been this way, and they just continue to fight. You know, with that roster, Dylan Brooks, while inconsistent has had some phenomenal moments this year. Obviously, Ja, as we alluded to, Valanciunas has continued to work on his game. He's been phenomenal. He's He's been really good. I really like that guy. Getting out of Toronto was the greatest thing for him where, just again, it just wasn't a fit. Um, But now he's somewhere where he's accepted and he's working with these young guys and he's he's kind of the rock behind them in in, in the front court and just really kind of doing his thing. And, hey, I, I like what Memphis has to offer. And, I'd be I'd be happy if they proved every wrong everyone wrong continuously throughout this process, but I'm very concerned for them. You know, again, I don't want to keep harping on it, but I'm concerned. Oh, and it's a shame that we won't have Justice Winslow playing for him either. You know, he's yeah, obviously out for year. the rest of the season, um, but he, I think he can still be a magnificent player in the NBA, which he's shown last year with Miami, um, shown it this year. You know, in spurts, but like. You know that that Memphis team. I feel like it's the most. If they were, if that team was anywhere, if you just swapped, let's say the Grizzlies roster with the Knicks roster, and you had that roster in New York, for example, the the the, the buzz that they'd be getting would be unparalleled to any team in the yeah. NBA, in my opinion. Like that, that's the way I feel about it. And it's such a shame that we can't give them the props like these. Are like, like I agree with you. I don't think I'd still be able to point out who Taylor Jenkins is, even if he walks <laughs> past me. Yeah, and, if that isn't the, and if that isn't the biggest sign of disrespect, I don't know what is, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, coming from two guys who like what, what he's done specifically and what the team has Precisely. done. Precisely. <laughs> and, it's, and it's two guys who watch a lot of Memphis as well, yeah. you know, so it's. 
it's, it's insane. Way. It's insane. And again, hopefully they they persevere and if they get in and, and make it done and they get in that first round matchup versus versus Lakers, you know, more power to them. That also be very exciting. And Ja Ja, he has it, bro. He has that it factor, and I'm excited to see where his career progresses to. I just hope he learns how to control himself a little bit more because mm-hmm. the last thing I want is for Jar to get injured because that, that that's that's the only thing I'm worried about with Jar. I'm not worried about his ceiling, his potential, because I feel like he'll reach it and exceed it. But the injury, that 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 slight risk of how reckless he is at times, I mean, it, it, it makes his game must-watch and must-see, don't get me wrong. But I feel like with, with the more time passes along, I think the more he'll learn that he can't do that all the time if he does it in the playoffs or in important games etc etc i think once he realizes that step i feel like he'll take another level in being an nba player as well yeah i think those are great points with with ja i i'm sure the comparison is out there and it might be a little bit lazy but you know he's he's got the john wall factor to him and wall I remember his first couple of years and then especially in those like those that two or three year run where Wall was just playing great, great basketball. You know, he said, Hey, I had to learn how to play the game at different speeds. I couldn't go hundred miles an hour all the time. And unfortunately for John Wall, it's he still battled injuries throughout and things of that nature, but he had to mature at some point to understand, okay. To, for it to have some level of longevity within the NBA, mm-hmm. you couldn't just go. Um, and I think Ja is definitely going to learn that. And I think, you know, Wall should be a kind of a cautionary tale for him even early on here to make sure that he understands that, hey, you know, I have some great athletic ability. I got to pick my spots. I can't try to, you know, meme dunk everybody <laughs> at every stage. <laughs> um, but, you know, really just try to make sure that he can trust his teammates as well, too, and then just play under control, as you alluded to. Great point. Definitely, definitely. And uh, and I feel like that's a perfect time to stop because, you know, we touched basically all over the bubble. Um, I feel like the only teams I haven't mentioned are like the Sorry Nets, the Suns and the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be all right. You know what I mean? So I, I mean, maybe another time with Phoenix. I am I still like D-Book and, and Aiton and those guys, but they don't really have much of a shot to do anything here. Washington is defunct of any real talent, as is, as is, as is Brooklyn and sure. Yeah, you know, Jared Allen's going to be there. Karis Levert, they got Jamal Crawford, and mm-hmm. that that'll be that'll be fun again for some for some for some kicks and giggles here and there too. But uh, there's there's just no real stake in the game for them right now at this stage, and you know they're going to the bubble for the sake of going. Final thoughts, though, I guess you know what is your thought about the potential restart of the Delete Eight and those guys getting an opportunity to. Um, you know, go. I think it's in Chicago they were discussing it potentially, mm-hmm. and and having some exhibition there. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I, I like get that. it, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird though. Apart from wanting to watch Steph Curry and Clay Thompson drop fifty on all these idiots that aren't that aren't good enough for the bubble, like realistically, what else am I going to gain from that? Like, and then I doubt Steph Curry and Clay even play. Like, they'll probably be resting up for the next season, so. I understand maybe from like a standpoint of they want some type of basketball because the other 22 teams will be getting basketball, but no, 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 just yeah. no. like I, I don't like it. I really don't. I think there's no need for it, especially in pandemic times. Um, yeah. You know, it's setting up a bubble for the worst eight teams in the NBA while, you know, it's more basketball and, you know, I won't turn up my nose at that. It's I'm, I'm not a fan. No, I agree. And I think some of those teams, the Knicks specifically, have bigger fish to fry, you know, and trying to just kind of get their, their house in order, so to speak. So obviously hiring Thibs now is 
one kind of checklist off 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 their off their list in general. Chicago still kind of in the situation with Jim Boylan. Mm -hmm. Don't know if he's going to be there or not going to be there. More likely not going to be there. So I think they mm -hmm. want to focus on those types of things as opposed to trying to get into some bubble situation right now to burn a handful of extra exhibition games. And I understand the argument about competitive balance. I just hope that. This is this can potentially be an opt-in or opt-out situation without penalty. So, like, if four teams want to go and they want to do it, great, more power to you. But if not all eight want to, then I hope there's no penalties as a result of that. Well, like like I said, like I, even if the Warriors go, you're just going to see the same Warriors team that that we've seen lose 60 times basically this season. You know that they would that would have lost 60 plus games. And I don't want to see that. Like, realistically, I don't like, you know, um, as much as I love basketball, I don't want to see it. And it's an interesting point you you make um, with um, the Knicks and stuff and, you know, not wanting to see them. Um, good luck to the Knicks players' cartilage over the next three, four years. That's all I'll say on that matter. Yeah, well, us too. You know, we definitely are found that to be an interesting case scenario. Leon Rose coming in here and doing what the Knicks always mm -hmm. do. Just, hey, we're going to hire the biggest name. Um, and we'll see. Dibs in a rebuilding situation has not proven to be astounding. So, no, to say the <laughs> least. As much as I like Tibbs as a coach anyway. Yeah. I think he's a phenomenal coach. Yeah. But so. I don't think he's a ripe situation for a coach like Tom Thibodeau. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, He's more a championship contending type of coach where you have a veteran squad that's ready to ready to contend and you just add the coach that takes him a little step above that, you know. Yeah, so. I'd, I'd be interested to know just, you know, what that conversation was like. What to kind of say is like, I, I mean, I know the number and the money is, is great. And so maybe that's maybe that's all the conversation you needed to have. But, you know, especially in a five year deal, so to speak. But it's just like, damn, bro, like. You see what this is, and yeah, they have a high draft pick potentially coming, but it's going to take time to develop that. And you know, you have a guy like Julius Randle on this on this ball club, you know, chucking up shots mm -hmm. as well too. Um, you know, Bobby Portis. I guess they don't have to opt into his deal, but I don't know, man. Like I said, this is this is not a Knicks podcast, so we can get off of it. But just that situation is a little bit weird. Well, it's an interesting situation, so I don't mind talking about it. But like you said, like they have twenty eight power forwards. Like they need to sort the roster out first and foremost, and then worry about everything else. Yeah. Um, but no, it's definitely one for another day. <laughs> um, sure, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, I feel like these fifty almost minutes have flown by. We touched on a lot of things. Like I said, it's a more NBA centric podcast today. But you know me, I love talking about the NBA in general. Um, just give yourself a shout out, you know, give Cal a shout out as well, because he should have been here as well. Um, it's your time to plug yourself. Go. I appreciate it, bro. And as always, thanks for allowing me to come on your show and speak to Lakers Nation a little bit. You know, not not too much hate here on our side, mm -hmm. man. We just we just love, you know, talking about hoops in general. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Shaw Sports NBA. Follow our show, The Baseline, at NBA Baseline. And my great co-host, Cal Lee, at Gameface Lee on Twitter as well, too. Um, and, yeah, man, we'll be happy to do this again, bring you on our show at some point, chop it all up. Definitely. And maybe we'll be seeing the purple and golden and green in the NBA Finals, as you alluded to, premonition man finger fingers crossed <laughs> definitely and as always you can follow me at alan rami 03 be sure to leave my podcast a five-star review as the baseline nba podcast as well definitely well worth a listen in your day and your rotation of podcasts thank you guys so much for listening take care